Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them. And I hope you will, too. Well, y'all, as we all know, 2020 has been a really challenging year. But it has been this podcast and the power of story that has really kept me going. Which is why I'm glad to bring you a special three-part series. It's going to be a story told in two parts, and then an interview with its author, one of my favorite writers, the Niger-American wordsmith, Nettie Okorafor. Now, I am drawn to Nettie's writing for a lot of reasons. For her strong female protagonists, for her ability to imagine and draw rich portraits of what our lives could look like in the future. You know, for me, literature and especially speculative fiction is a lens and a reflection of how we view the world. And that is certainly what's going on in this story. Today's story is Mother of Invention. And it's a real doozy. You probably remember when I read a couple of Nettie's other stories, The Baboon War or The Winds of Harmattan on this podcast, which are both just jaw-dropping in terms of their world-building, but neither of them touched on one of Nettie's other superpowers as a writer, which is grappling with the future and technology. Today's story was first published in 2018 as part of Future Tense, a partnership with Slate, New America, and Arizona State University that looks at emerging technologies, public policy, and society. The story was also a Locus Award finalist in 2019. Mother of Invention is set in a future version of the Niger Delta, where an engineered superplant is grown on moss, scrubbing carbon dioxide from the air and providing a valuable food source. But if we zoom in closer, we see a pregnant woman alone in her well-equipped smart home as she prepares for the birth of her first child. So, if you're ready for part one of this story. Let's take a deep breath. And begin. Mother of Invention by Nettie Okorafor. It was a beautiful, sunny day. And yet, Anuli knew the weather was coming for her. She paused on the lush grass in front of the house, purposely stepping on one of the grass's flowers. When she raised her foot, the sturdy thing sprung right back into place, letting out a puff of pollen like a small laugh. Anwuli gnashed her teeth, clutching the metal planks she carried and staring up the driveway. Up the road, a man was huffing and puffing and sweating. 
He wore a clearly drenched jogging suit and white running shoes that probably wanted to melt in the Nigerian midday heat. Her neighbor, Festus Na'emeka, the moment she and Festus made eye contact, he began walking faster. Anwu Lee squeezed her face with irritation and loudly sucked her teeth, hoping he would hear. Don't need help from any of you two-faced people anyway, she muttered to herself, watching him go. You keep walking and wheezing, idiot. She heaved the metal planks up a bit, carried them to the doorstep, and dumped them there. Obi-3, come and get all this, she said. Breathing heavily, she wiped sweat from her brow, rubbing the Braxton Hicks pain in her lower belly. One of OB-3's sleek blue metal drones zipped in and used its extending arms to scoop up the planks. The blown air from its propellers felt good on Anwuli's face, and she sighed. Thank you, Anwuli, OB-3 said through the drone's speakers. Anwuli nodded watching the drone zoom off with the planks to the other side of OB-3. Who knew what OB-3 needed them for? It was always requesting something. OB-3 was one of her now ex-fiancés personally designed shape-shifting smart homes. He'd built one for himself, one for his company, and this third one was also his, but Anwu Lee lived in it. And this house, which he'd named OB-3, not because of the classic Star Wars film, but because Obi meant home in Igbo, and it was the third one, was his smallest, most complex design. Built atop drained swamplands, OB-3 rested on three mechanized cushioning beams that could lift the house up high when it wanted a nice view of the city, or keep it close to the ground. The house could also rotate to follow the sun and transform its shape from an equilateral triangle into a square and split into four separate modules based on a mathematical formula. And because it was a smart home, it was always repairing and sometimes building on itself. Over the past five months, OB-3 had requested nails... Vents, sheet metal, planks of wood, piping. Once, it even requested large steel ball bearings. Paid for, using her ex's credit card, most of the time she just had it delivered and dropped at the doorway. Or she'd pick up the stuff and place it there where she quickly forgot about it. By the time she came back outside, it was always gone. Taken by the drones. None of this mattered to her, though, because she had real problems to worry about, especially in the last eight months, especially in the next hour. Shit, she whimpered, holding her very pregnant belly as she looked at the clear blue sky again. There had been no storms in the damned forecast for the next two weeks, and she thought she had finally been blessed with some luck after so long. 
However, apparently the weather forecast was wrong. Very, very wrong. She felt the air pressure dropping, like a cold shiver running up her spine. Mere hours ago, Dr. Iwuchukwu had informed her that this sensitivity to air pressure was part of the allergy. Several honeybees buzzed around one of the flower beds beside her. The lilies and chrysanthemums were far more delicate than the government-enforced supergrass, but at least they were of her choosing. Just as it was her choice to stay in her house, she listened harder, straining to hear over the remote sound of cars passing on the main road a half-mile away. Damn it, she whispered when she heard the rumble of thunder in the distance. She turned and headed to the house. The door opened, and she went inside and slammed it behind her before it could close itself. She stood there for a moment, her hands shaking, tears tumbling down her face. The house had drawn itself into its most compact and secure shape, a square, swinging the triangular sections of the kitchen and living room together. Outside, from down the road, the mosque announced the call to prayer. Fuck! She screamed, smacking a fist to the wall. Tufiakwa! No! No, no, this is not fair! Then the Braxton hicks in her belly clenched and she gasped with pain. She went to her living room, threw her purse on the couch and plopped down next to it, massaging her sides. Relax. Relax, Anwuli. Breathe, Obi-3 crooned in its rich voice. You are fine. Your baby is fine. Everything is fine. Anwu Lee closed her eyes and listened to her house sing for a bit, and soon she calmed and felt better. Music is all we've got. She sang back to Obi-3, and the sound of her own voice pushed away the fact that she and her baby would probably be dead by morning, and it would all be her fault. Pushed it away, some. Music and Obi-3. Those were all she and her unborn baby had had for nine months. Since she'd learned she was pregnant and stupidly told her fiancé, who a minute later blurted to her that he was married with two children and couldn't be a father to her child, too. The city of New Delta was big, but her neighborhood had always been small in many ways. One of those ways was how people stamped the scarlet badge of home-wrecking lady on women who had children with married men. Her fake fiancé had deserted her, using the excuse of Anmuli playing the seductress he couldn't resist. Then, her friends stopped talking to her. Even her sister and cousins, who lived mere miles away, blocked her on all social networks. When she went to the local supermarket, not one person would meet her eye. 
Only her smart home spoke and sometimes sang to her. And then there was the baby. Boy, girl, she refused to find out. It was the only good thing she had to look forward to. But her baby was making her sick, too. Specifically, allergic. Dr. Iwuchukwu had been telling her to leave New Delta for months. But Anwuli wasn't about to leave her house. The house was her respect. What else could she claim she'd earned from the relationship? She knew it was irrational and maybe even deadly. But she took her chances. So far, so good, until today's diagnosis at her doctor's appointment. And right there, in that antiseptic place whose smell made her queasy, she decided for good. She wasn't going anywhere, come what may. Now, as if the cruel gods were answering her, a storm was coming. Seriously, she muttered, sinking down on the couch, letting its massagers knead the tight muscles of her neck. I have such bad luck. Bad luck is only a lack of information, Obi-3 said. Dr. Ibuchukwu has sent you a message saying to go over it again. I understood it the first time, she said. I just don't care. I'm not going anywhere. The idiot left me. He's not getting his house back, too. Before Anwuli could launch into a full-blown rant, Obi-3 began playing the informative video the doctor suggested. She sighed with irritation as the image opened up before her. She didn't care to know more than the bits her doctor had told her, but she was tired. So she watched anyway. The man walked with a cane and wore an Igbo white and red chief's cap like an elder from Anwuli's village in Arochukwu. The projection made it look as if he walked in from the bedroom door and Anwuli rolled her eyes. This entrance was supposed to be more personable, but she had only found it obnoxious. Hello? Anwuli, the man said graciously. So, you live in New Delta, Nigeria, the greenest place in the world. Fun fact, 100 years ago, this used to be swamplands and riverways, and the greatest export was oil. Violent clashes between oil corporations and a number of the Niger Delta's minority ethnic groups who felt they were being exploited. Skip, Anwuli said. The man froze for a moment and went from standing in the living room to standing in the middle of downtown New Delta. Anwuli was about to skip again, but instead she laughed and watched. In the area between New Delta's low skyscrapers, Buildings and homes were carpeted with its world-famous stunning green grass, and the roads were fringed with it. But in this scene, the grass was covered with smiley-faced bopping periwinkle flowers. It looked ridiculous, 
like one of those ancient animations from the early 1900s, or a psychedelic drug-induced hallucination. The man grinned as he grandiosely swept his arms out to indicate all the lush greenery around him. Grass, he announced. Whether we know it or not, grass is important to most of us. Grass is a monumental food source worldwide. Corn, millet, oats, sugar, all of them come from grass plants. Even rice was a grass plant. We use grass plants to make bread, liquor, plastic, and so much more. Livestock animals feed mostly on grasses too. Sometimes we use grass plants like bamboo for construction. Grass helps curb erosion. He walked closer and stood in the center of town square in the grassy roundabout, smart cars and electric scooters driving round him. At his back stood the statue of Nigeria's president standing beside a giant peri flower. The post-oil city New Delta is now the greenest place in the world, thanks to the innovative air-scrubbing superplant known as periwinkle grass, a GMO grass created in Chinese labs by Nigerian scientist Neka Mbaramuko. Carpeting New Delta, periwinkle's signature tough flowers are a thing of beauty and innovation. A genetic hybrid drawn from a variety of plants including sunflowers, zoysia grass, rice, and jasmine flowers. We can thank periwinkle grass for giving us the perfect replacement for rice just after its extinction. The grass produces periwinkle seed, more commonly just called peri, is delicious, easy to cook, quick to grow. And it can grow only here in New Delta because of the special mineral makeup from its past as a swamp. What a resource. He held up a hand, and the point of view zoomed in to the soft, light purple blue flower in it. The man looked down at Anwu Lee as he grinned somewhat insanely. One week a year, the harvester trucks come oh, out to skip, she said, waving a hand. Just go to New Delta Allergies. The man froze and then reappeared in what looked like someone's nasal cavity, the world around him red and smooth. Allergies, he said, looking right at Anwuli with a smirk. He winked mischievously. Humans have had them since humans were humans, and maybe before that. One of the earliest recorded incidents was sometime between 3640 and 3300 BC, when King Menzies of Egypt died from a wasp sting. In New Delta, pollen allergies are commonplace. Milder symptoms include skin rash, hives, runny nose, itchy eyes, nausea, and stomach cramps. Severe symptoms are more extreme, Swelling caused by the allergic reaction can spread to the throat and lungs, causing allergenic asthma, or a serious condition known as anaphylaxis. New Delta is a wonderful place of spotless greenery where one can walk about with no shoes on the soft grass, breathe air so clear it smells perfumed, 
and drive down Nigeria's cleanest streets. At this, Anwuli laughed. But in the last five years, due to an unexpected shift in the climate, pollination season has become quite an event. This means more copious harvests of peri. But because peri grass is a wind pollinator, it also means what scientists have called pollen tsunamis. The weather around the man grew dark as storm clouds moved in and the room vibrated with the sound of thunder. Anwuli glanced toward the side of the room that was all window. Outside was still sunny, but it wouldn't be for long. Skip to Ize Uzere, she said. The man froze and then was sitting behind a doctor's desk wearing a lab coat. He still wore his Igbo chief cap. A few New Delta citizens were diagnosed with an allergy called Ize Uzere. The name, which means sneeze in Igbo, was given to the condition by a non-English-speaking Igbo virologist who liked to keep things simple. If someone with Ize Uzere is caught in a pollen tsunami, there will first be severe runny eyes, sneezing fits, and then an escalation to convulsions, rapid rash, and then suffocation. Most who have it experience a preliminary sneezing fit and then the full spectrum of symptoms the moment a pollen tsunami saturates the area. Deadly exposure to the pollen when a tsunami hits takes minutes even when indoors and is instant when outside. Treatment is to leave New Delta and go to an arid environment before the next pollen tsunami. Once there, one must be given a battery of anti-allergen injections for five months. What if I lose everything if I leave? Anwuli asked the virtual man. What if moving out of this house allows the father of my child to get rid of me without lifting a damn finger? Do you have answers for that in your database? The man's eyebrows went up, but before the man could respond, she screamed, Shut up! She punched the couch cushion. Off! Turn off! The image disappeared, replaced by her favorite soothing scene of an American cottage covered in snow. The sound of the wind was muffled by the blanket of snow, and smoke was rising from the cottage's chimney. She knew what would happen if she couldn't leave the area. Damn it! She hissed. I refuse. I refuse! Are you sure you don't want me to buy a ticket for you to Abuja? Obi-3 asked. There is a flight leaving in two hours. Your auntie will... No! Anwali sat back and shut her eyes, feeling her frustrated tears roll down both sides of her face. I am not leaving. I don't care. She paused. They probably all hope I'll die like I deserve it. What kind of dessert would you like? There is caramel creme and honeyed peri bread. Deserve! Anuli snapped. I said deserve, not dessert. You deserve happiness, Anuli. 
Anwu Li closed her eyes and sighed, muttering, Left me alone here for nine months. Their message is clear. Well, so is mine. I'm not going. This is his baby. He can't deny that forever. She paused. Now this stupid storm rolls in out of nowhere when I could have this child at any moment. This is God's work. Maybe he wants all my trouble over with fast. Would you like some jollof perry and stew? Obi-3 asked as Anmu Lee slowly got up. You haven't eaten since before you went to your appointment. Why would I want to eat when I am about to die alone? She shouted. She got up. She stared around Obi-3. Not spotless because Anwuli didn't like spotless, but tidy. Her space, since he had left her to fully return to his marital home. One of Obi-3's interior drones zipped into the bedroom with a set of freshly washed and folded clothes. What do I do? Anwuli whispered. And as if to answer, the sound of thunder rumbled from outside, this time louder. I don't want to die. She'd always had allergies. Her father had even playfully nicknamed her Ogbanji when she was little because she was always the one sniffling, sneezy, and sent to bed any time the peri flowers bloomed. Goodness knew that when her allergies flared, she did feel like a spirit who'd prefer to die and return to her spirit friends than keep living with the discomfort. But never did she imagine she'd eventually come down with the rare illness everyone had been talking about. And her doctor, also a local to her community, had been so cold about it. I don't know why you haven't left yet, but don't worry. You'll give birth any day now, he'd said at her earlier appointment, clearly avoiding her eyes by looking at his tablet. Then you take your baby, fly to Abuja immediately and get treatment there. No storms are due in the next week, so you will be fine. Anwuli had nodded agreement. What she didn't say in that room was that she had no intention of leaving. OB3 was her home as long as she lived in it. Bio was an asshole, but he could never throw her out of the house no matter how much he wanted the situation to go away. She was sure he still loved her, and above everything else, this was his baby. However, his wife certainly would love for her and his bastard baby to simply leave the area. But none of it mattered now. Because here was the thunder. Anwu Lee went to her room and curled up in her bed. And for several minutes, minutes she knew would be her last, she cried and cried. For herself, for her situation, her choice, for everything. When she couldn't cry anymore, 
The thunder was closer. She got up. Her belly felt hard as a rock, and the pain drove even her fear of death away. At the same time, OB3 brightened the lights, which seemed to amplify the pain. Blood of Jesus! she screamed, crumbling to the floor in front of the couch. She was 29 years old, and she'd watched all her friends settle into marriage and have child after child. Yet this was her first. And there had been so much chaos around the fact of her pregnancy that although she went to regular checkups, she hadn't really thought much about the birth or what she'd do afterward. Shame, desperation, embarrassment, and abandonment burned hotter and shined brighter than her future. So Anwali wasn't ready. Now her pain had begun to speak, and it told vibrant stories of flesh-consuming fire that burned the body to hard, hot stone. It was as if her midsection was trying to squeeze itself bloody. She rolled on the floor, more tears tumbling from her eyes, and then it passed. Her belly melted from hot stone back to flesh. Her mind cleared, and a light patter of rain began tapping at the windows. Better? Obi-3 asked. Yes, Anmuli said, grasping the side of the couch to pull herself up. Beside her hovered one of Obi-3's drones. I'm okay. I can do it myself. That was a contraction, Obi-3 said. The variations in electromagnetic noise my sensory lights are picking up tell me that you'll be entering labor soon. Anwali groaned, glancing at the window. Of course, she thought. Not yet, but very soon, Obi-3 said. It beeped softly, and the lights flashed a gentle pink-orange. You have a phone call. Bio. Anwali frowned. She shut her eyes and took a deep breath. Okay. Answer. There was another beep, and Bio's face appeared before her. He looked sweaty, and his shaven brown head shined in the light of the room he was in. He squinted. Anuli, turn your visuals on, he said. No, she snapped, propping herself against the couch. What do you want? He sighed. Your doctor just called me. What did he say? She asked, gnashing her teeth. That you're sick. That you have Ize Uzere. How can this be? Is it the pregnancy? Is it legal for him to discuss confidential patient information with strangers? She snapped, doubtful. I'm not a stranger. The last time you spoke to me was nine months ago. His shifty eyes shifted. There was a shadow beside him. Someone else was there. Probably his wife. 
Anwali felt a wave of wooziness pass over her. I think I'm in labor, she said. He looked surprised, but then shocked her by saying nothing. No ambulance will drive through this storm, she said. Can you... His wife's face suddenly filled the virtual screen. No, he will not, she said. He has a family and cannot afford to go driving into pollen storms. Clean up your own mess and get out of our house. Bio's wife continued to block Bio's face. And if Bio said anything, Anwuli could not hear him. Whose house? Anwuli shouted at her. Did you design it? Build it? Pay for it? Does this house even know your name? Go and die, his wife roared. The image disappeared. Anwuli flared her nostrils, but no effort could stop the tears and hurt from washing over her like its own contraction. She hadn't known a thing about that woman. Bio had. Yet who did his family and the rest of the community embrace? Who still had his own body to himself? Well, Anwuli thought, maybe I did know about her. Maybe. Let me not lie when I am so close to my death. I knew. I just chose not to see. <sighs> Call parents, she breathed. Their phone rang and rang. No response. Not surprising. They'd stopped picking up her calls months ago. She sent a text explaining it all, then went to the kitchen. The strain of throwing up and having a contraction nearly caused her to pass out. One of OB3's drones pushed itself beside her to keep her from tumbling to the floor. The variations in electromagnetic noise my sensory lights pick up alert me that... Shut up! Anmuli screamed. You are now in labor. OB3 finished. Boom! The thunder outside responded. Sheets of rain began to pelt OB3. The lights flickered, and then Anwu Lee heard her backup solar generator kick in. What do I do? She grunted, using a napkin to wipe her mouth. What am I going to do? Shuffling songs by MC Dudat. Obi-3 cheerily said. Bass-heavy rap music shook the entire house, making Anuli even more nauseous. Ladies, do that. Bitches, do that. Get down low and do that. Do that. MC Doodad rapped over the beats in his low, raspy voice. Music off! She screamed, tears squeezing from her eyes. She clenched her fists with rage. No music! Oh, I hate this song. The music stopped in time for the sound of thunder to shake the house. Anwuli slowly dragged herself up as the contractions subsided.
I'll help you to the couch, Obi-3 said. She nodded and leaned against the drone that floated to her side. As she did, reality descended on Anwuli. Obi-3 was only an extension of herself. She was only talking to herself, being helped by herself. She was alone. The storm! Pollen! I don't want to... As she stumbled to the couch, the drone holding her under her armpit, she started to cry again. She cried more as she fell onto the couch and rolled onto her back, her clothes now drenched in sweat. She cried as she stared at the spotless sky-blue ceiling, which she had used OB-3's drones to paint when Bio left her. She cried as lightning flashed and the thunder roared outside. The unpredicted storms, winds blowing. I, I cannot help but notice, and maybe some of you have as well, that um, this story, or one of the characters in this story at least, bears some similarity to another smart house um, in, in my life. For those of you who don't know, uh, back in the day I directed a Disney Channel original movie um, called Smart House, about a smart house who was taking care of a family. And in that story, the house... Pat, her name was, went kind of crazy. Um, but we'll talk more about smart houses next week. In the meantime, I love this character. Anwu Lee bears a striking resemblance to all of the women in my family. Um, strong, determined, um, even long-suffering. And I, I think that it's just the the nature of women, that they bear pain. The kind of pain that men do not experience. And so that makes them more than admirable, in my estimation. Come back next week for part two of Mother of Invention by Nettie, a quarter four. I'll see you then. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith, the best in the business, y'all. And we have a new researcher this season. That's Lakeisha Lewis. So glad you are aboard, my sister. And our editing and sound design is by the extraordinary Brendan Burns. 
My thanks today to Nettie Okorafor for allowing me to read her story. You can find it in the anthology Future Tense Fiction. And to find her work in novels, short stories, comics, and more, visit Nettie.com. That's N-N-E-D-I dot com. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please recommend an episode to a friend who you think might enjoy it. You can also leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And why not include a story suggestion for us? We love them. We read them. We use them. And if you would prefer to listen to episodes ad-free and listen to exclusive bonus author interviews, you can do that on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment. Our executive producers are Chris C.B. Bannon, Josephine Maharana, she's the boss, and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVarBurton.com. I will see you all next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. 